a seat. But worship is not done. <laughs> We're going to open up God's word and continue to see what it is that he wants to show and reveal to us um, as we continue in worship just through opening our hearts and our minds. I mean, my prayer to you, my prayer always, every time before we have a service, this is Lord, may we just come in here one way and walk out free, <laughs> more free. May we feel your joy and experience your presence and your peace on our lives. Thank you, Shelby. Give Shelby a big round of applause, everybody. She's the best. If you didn't know, that's my wife. <laughs> I like to brag about that. Um, well, it is great to be opening up God's Word with you again this morning. Uh, we've been walking through this on our way to Easter, Paul's letter to these new Christians in the ancient city of Colossae. Now, we're going to be in chapter 3 this morning. If you have your own Bibles, I invite you to go ahead and turn there with me. Uh, it is in the New Testament. It comes after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. If you don't have your Bible, no worries. You can simply follow with me on the screen as we go. But while you're turning there and before we dig in, if you didn't know, Shelby and I uh, went to the same college, the illustrious uh, Tennessee Tech University, TTU, which probably means nothing to most of you. But what you may also not know is that during college, we did a lot of music together. Shelby and I especially uh, led a lot of worship uh, for our college ministry. And every Wednesday night, we had about 200 students pack out this pretty small room and we would just play and we would sing for as long as people wanted to stay some nights. And since we, our, our campus was about an hour from Nashville, Tennessee, we had a lot of really good musicians come through, way better than me. And I loved the energy and I loved just seeing the amazing things that God did during that whole time. But there was something in me that kept bothering me. And so I decided to go talk to our college pastor about it. His name uh, was Joe Nate. And Joe Nate was a gifted worship leader himself. Um, sadly, Joe Nate, two years after we graduated, ended up going to be with Jesus. Um, so he's worshiping right now <laughs> um, in ways I can hardly imagine. But um, I decided, I'll never forget the day when Joe Nate and I went for a ride in his big old truck. Uh, around campus. And I told him, I said, Jonah, I, I love my role as helping to lead worship on Wednesday nights, but I'm not sure I like it for the right reasons. As a worship leader, it's my job to point people's attention to God, but Jonah, I'm really enjoying the attention I get from it. After, after serve, sometimes in service, I, I should be thinking about how can I get people to focus on God. And sometimes, Johnny, I'm thinking, man, I wonder if people are focusing on me. And after service, sometimes I really love the compliments. I'll, of course, when, when people give them, I say something super humble, like, uh, it's all about him, you know. But, what do I do with this? Truth was, I just felt like a hypocrite. And I'll never forget his response. Because for one, he wasn't surprised. He did not say, thankfully, well, you're disqualified. <laughs> forget it. We'll, we'll find, you can clean the carpets or something, right? 
But what he did say, yeah, Kirk, we all have that sinful side of ourselves that wants what it wants. It's like a big fat baby. It only wants what it wants. He says, the question is, are you feeding the big fat baby or are you feeding God's spirit? He says, because whatever you're feeding, that's what's controlling you. And I'll never forget those words. One, because he didn't meet meet me with condemnation over it. But two, because I started to realize, yeah, every single Christian, every single human being, we all have some struggle, wrestle with sin and selfishness. If you say you don't, you're lying. (laughs) We all do. But what do we do with that struggle? How are we meant to work through that? And in Colossians chapter 3, Paul addresses this very question with these new Christians in Colossae who are trying to figure out what does this whole following Jesus thing look like. But instead of calling the sinful self the big fat baby, Paul calls it the old self or the old man. And he makes it clear. That we, if you, if you accepted Christ, if you received Christ, we are not victims to the old self. But what do we do with it? And if we're going to walk in the way of Jesus, how do we do that? Practically speaking, day after day. These are the questions that we're going to see how Paul addresses as we unpack this passage. But let's read together. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 17. And last week, we tried standing as we read God's Word. I want to do that again. Just, this is a way to allow our physical bodies to honor God as we read His Word. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 5, we're going to read through verse 17. Here we go. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, meaning in the community of Christ, There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything. Everybody say everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 
Lord, take your word and may it speak right to the areas of our lives where you want us to hear it today. May we not push you away. May we not try to ignore you in your voice. May we not blame it on somebody else, but may we instead acknowledge what you want to say to us. Change us. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. You may have a seat. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Now, the relationship between Christians and sin can be a bit confusing. I've met some people who seem to imply that, well, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't struggle with sin anymore. I've met other people who are like, well, I can flirt with sin all I want because I'm forgiven. But what is really the relationship, what, is meant, what are we meant to understand as far as our relationship with sin or the old self, as Paul calls it? See, when we turn to Christ, he freed us from the power of sin, but we are not free of sin. I'm going to say that one more time because I want you to hear that. When, when we came to Christ, we were not, we were free from the power of sin. We're not victims to it. But that doesn't mean that we just free of sin entirely and completely. So when you, when any of us come to faith, the Bible tells us it's important that you are baptized. Why? Because baptism is a symbolic picture of what Christ has already done spiritually in our lives. That when we are baptized, it is a picture of we have died to the old way of life, to the old, to be the sin-driven self. We've left that behind, and we've picked up and are seeking to walk in our new nature, which is the spirit of Jesus, right? Like we've left, to use a computer term, the operating system of old, and we've picked up a new operating system. See, prior to Jesus, we only had one operating system. And that was sin. But, in his love for us, Paul says Christ chose us to be set apart as holy unto him. That with his death, he satisfied the just payment for sin before God. And with his resurrected life, he gave us new life and gave his spirit to us. And from the moment you believe, Scripture says, Christ's Spirit takes up residence in you. If you remember, we've said this over and over again, that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And see, the grand vision of all of this for God is as He places His very, the nature of His very Son within us, all of a sudden, together, we become a different, a new kind of community. God's grand vision is that with the Spirit of Jesus, His new operating system in each of us, that we become a new kind of community very different from the world. He says that we take on Christ, we begin to become renewed after the image of our Creator. We will start to look different than the world around us. And Paul explains a bit more in chapter 3, verse 11. He says, Christ is all and in all. What does that mean? If Christ is everything to us, if he's the most important thing to us, and he lives in each of us, then he's going to bring us together, he says, across different cultures, religious backgrounds, ethnicities, social classes. He said, here in this community, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, which can also be translated foreigner, 
Scythian, which were these crude northern Greeks who certainly couldn't get along with the sophisticated Athenians. Paul says in Christ they can't. There's not slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, whatever causes deep division in the world around us should not divide us here. I got one person who agrees with that. Trinity, if the Lord is the most important thing to us, and if he lives in each of us, This even means that he wants to show us how to see and love each other across different ethnicities, political leanings, generations, personalities, and income brackets. More on this in a bit. But let me go back to verse 5 here. Because even though, Paul says, even though Christ is in us and he is shaping us to become a new kind of community, that doesn't mean that the old sinful self has just disappeared. You know, we have the sin-breaking power of Jesus within us, but Paul says, the old self will still attempt to control you. So, how are we meant to understand this old self, right? You know, what characterizes the old self. So when it's trying to ultimately gain control over our lives, how do we learn to recognize it? I want to give us just three characteristics that Paul lays out here of the old self. First, the old sinful self lives for what it wants above all else. The operating system of the old, Paul says, is fueled by an endless appetite for sex. A desire for what is not pure. A passion for what others have, but what we don't have. Covetousness. You see, that part of me that wanted glory in the midst of leading worship instead of giving it to God, that was the old self trying to gain control of how I did what I did. But not only does it want what it wants, but Paul says the sinful self is a debased form of humanity. It's not who we're meant to be. Do you remember Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit? Because they thought it would make them like God. But what did it really make them like? More beastly than human. You know, wild animals, beasts, they're driven by their cravings and by fear. Not by love or reason. And you see the way that when sin grabs a hold of a human being, they become just like, they follow their, inst- their appetites. And they're just reacting in fear to everything. Paul calls it earthly. Because instead of reflecting who the God of heaven is, sin leads us to look across the earthly world for anything that can satisfy what God is meant to satisfy. There's a Scottish writer named Bruce Marshall who once said, The man who rings the bell at the brothel unconsciously does so seeking God. Think about that. It wants what it wants. It's a, but it's a beastly form. It's not true humanity. And third, the old self will do what it must to get what it wants. Listen, if the sinful self can get what it wants within the law and without ruffling too many feathers, 
Why not? It's less hassle that way. But if that's not going to work, sin is willing to resort to hurting people if it needs to. It will resort to intense anger, Paul says, malice, gossip behind people's back, abusive language, deception even. For the sinful self, getting what it wants is the end, and it was willing to justify whatever means it needs in order to get that end. But understand, this is not just true for individuals. This can be true for groups or even nations. As the Nazis rose to power and they were building their propaganda, you know, the common phrase that they had is, truth is what is to the advantage of your own people. I'm willing to mold truth and morality however I want as long as it serves me in the end. So you see, the sinful nature isn't just in each of us, but it can infect an entire culture as well. And the reason why I lay these characteristics out for us, that the old self wants what it wants, it's, it's, it's beastly in its operating system, and, and it will do whatever it needs to to get what it wants. I'm laying out there so that we learn to recognize its characteristics when we see it trying to influence and control us. And the reason why I'm doing this too is because, yes, it's even possible for someone to go to church every Sunday and look really good doing it, but still come to church completely led and directed by the old self. If the old self is what's ultimately controlling us, we're showing up to church saying, all right, what can I get out of this? Who can serve me today? Is this going to make me feel good or not? It wants what it wants. In college, that's exactly what I did. I noticed as part of myself showing up to these worship services every Wednesday night, thinking, all right, how can this... Uh, boost my cred the old self but I don't want to just give Jesus lip service I want him to own my heart don't you so what do we do with that old self Paul he does not mince any words he's very clear on this one put it to death the old Puritan theologian, John Owen, said, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Or as the old theologian Ice Cube said, Better check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> Got to bring it to our real world, you know? But instead of putting off and putting the old self to death, sometimes we like to coddle it. And this is exactly why Joan 8 called it a big fat baby. Because sometimes we treat it as cute and adorable. We laugh at it. We entertain it. We play with it. We say, well, this is just how God made me. Or I've had a hard week. I deserve to just blow off some steam. Or instead of putting it to death, if we're not coddling it and we see it and we're a bit ashamed of it, we, we just, uh, uh, well, we shift the blame to everybody else for the way that we are. Because if I can shift the blame to you and to you and to you, well, I am the way that I am because they are the way that they are. And it's because of my upbringing. It's because of this. It's because of that. And I don't have to actually acknowledge my own sin. 
It was interesting, before my confession with Joan 8, you know what I was really good at? Pointing to other worship leaders and saying, that was just a performance for them. Because I was seeing my issue in everybody else. If you notice yourself consistently criticizing other people, perhaps you need to stop and say, whoa, am I trying to point the finger away that God's trying to point at me right now? Not to condemn. Not to condemn us. But because he says, I want you to learn to acknowledge it so that you can put it to death. See, if Christ is in you, you have the strength to resist sin's pull. Paul told the Corinthians, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. He will provide the way of escape. But listen, just because a, a lustful thought or a selfish desire, you begin to feel that or that comes into your mind, that doesn't mean that it's controlling you. The question comes, well, what will you do with it when it comes? Will you linger on it? Will you entertain it? Will you give in to it? Or will you take it right before God and nail it to the cross? Because we have a choice to make in those moments. Oswald Chambers said, God regenerates us and puts us in contact with all his divine resources, Christ in us, but he cannot make us walk according to his will. We have to put it to death. But how do you do that? Well, before we can really answer that question, I need us first to be able to see that God didn't just save us from something. He saved us for something. All right? He didn't just call us to take off something, but he's also telling us to put on something else. In Christ, we're not just free from sin, but we're free for his character of love and peace. If you don't get this, I'm like, like, like please zoom in, right? Like, like lean in on this part if you didn't hear anything I said yet. Because the complete opposite of me first or us first mentality is exactly the character of Jesus. He says, as God's chosen ones, holy, to be set apart and unconditionally loved. He said, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. But listen, these words are anything but weak or soft. Compassion is not sentimentalism. It's the willingness to step into the suffering with somebody else with the hope of healing. Kindness is not just being nice, but it's willing to consider someone above ourselves. Humility is not low self-esteem, but it's to take ourselves less seriously in light of who God is. Meekness is not weakness, but it's strength under control that we might be gentle with others. I don't know why, but anytime I think of meekness, I think of the incredible Hulk holding a kitten. <laughs> All the strength, but channeled in gentleness. Bearing with and forgiving others is not to let them walk on us, but it simply admits that we're all sinful people who've been given what we never deserved. And when we read through these words, my goodness, this is exactly who the King of Heaven was for us. The King of Heaven 
in kindness, he considered us. In compassion, saw our sin. In humility, stooped down to be one of us. In meekness, submitted himself to die for us. And as he died, he proclaimed, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. In Christ, all the world saw as weak was actually the strength of divine love for you, for us. And this is exactly why Paul summarized, he says, if you want me to bundle all these words into one, he says, I'm going to use the one word, love. And actually that original word he uses is the Greek word agape, which is hard to fully define, but the way I like to define it is most human love is actually, I'm going to love you as long as you give something back to me in return. Agape is, I'm going to love you, period. Period. We can't just be a church that takes off the sinful nature. We must put on love. In a letter to the church in Ephesus, Jesus, in Revelation chapter 2, told this church, you guys are doing a great job standing against all the false teachers. But I have this against you. You've forgotten the love you had at first. Churches that focus all their energy on avoiding sin are very clear on what they stand against. But they're not so clear about what they stand for. And if we take off the old but don't actually put on love, you know what ends up actually controlling us? Fear. Fear of the culture. Fear of sin. But fear controls us. We've never put on humility or compassion which are wrapped up in love. And therefore we are unable to truly have compassion toward our neighbor or one another. We can be... In other words, if I, if I only take off but never put on, I may stand up strong against any form of sex outside marriage because, man, that's not God's way. But when I meet somebody in the midst of their own sexual brokenness, do I have any compassion or humility as I seek to minister to them? See, Christ is in us, not just to keep us from screwing up. He is in us because he wants to lead us toward his rich, beautiful adventure as we learn to be agents of his love and truth to the world around us. When Christ controls us, we're not fighting for our own way anymore. We're not resisting him because our old self is dead, right? Therefore, we have peace. We let his peace rule our hearts individually, and his peace begins to mark out the culture of this church as well. The differences that are in the world, man, they don't fly here. In this community, as we become a place of his peace, we realize, oh, this doesn't just exist for me. This exists every time I walk into church. I'm thinking, I'm not just taking off. I'm putting on, Lord, show me who I can invite today. Show me who I can encourage. Show me who I can bless. Show me who I can love. Isn't that the kind of community that we all want? But how do we do that? How do we take off the old and put on the new? In real life, what does that look like? See, we let Christ in us control us as we let him transform our daily habits. 
I was really hoping for a secret there, Kirk. Uh, that didn't sound uh, too crazy to me. But it actually is that beautiful and that simple. If you notice, Paul uses this language of take off and put on. Because he's trying to get a picture in our minds. Every single day, you take off your clothes, you put on your clothes, because no one wants to walk outside naked, right? Like, like, this is just part of what you do. It's part of your routine every day. He says, do you realize that walking in and allowing Christ to control you is a part of your everyday decisions and habits? That changing and walking in the power of Jesus in our lives is not something we just do in our imaginations, it's not just something that we wait to happen to us. It's something that we do as we allow him to transform and direct our everyday habits and lifestyles. Why? Because if you want to know who or what you are becoming, let's just start by looking at our daily and weekly habits that make up our lives. Right? Habits shape character over time. I love Christian retreats, conferences, worship nights. I love being on fire and the high that I get from those kinds of experiences. But I can't trust that one-time experiences are going to be the things that ultimately shift and change who I am. We become transformed by our daily and weekly habits that we incorporate into our lives. Now, if you're a little confused of what I mean by this, let me lay out some examples. All right, I'm going to lay out a list of what I see as, as just practical takeoff habits and practical put-on habits. All right? First, habits that take off the old self could include fasting, perhaps from your phone or media, or whatever it is that you know that's feeding that big fat baby. Two, silence and solitude. Three, taking one day a week, a Sabbath, just to rest, you and your family. Four, practicing being frugal. Five, practice sacrificing for somebody else. Six, meet with another Christian brother or sister once a week. Check in to hold each other accountable. Say, hey, how are you growing? How, how's life going? Now, this is not an exhaustive list. You may come up with more. I hope you do. But the point is, is that each of these habits that we see on the screen, they require us to, number one, acknowledge the old self and put it to death. You guys following me? And I could do a whole another sermon on this. But let's consider the habits of putting on the new self in Christ as well. Because Paul says here in Colossians 3, uh, 16 through 17, he says, if you want to put on the new self, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does that mean? That means let the word of Christ have possession of all of you. Everything. Let it be rich in what it can speak to <laughs> in your life. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And he says, as this begins to happen, you know what? The joy of the Lord. Exercise that as through singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. So as we start to take that into account, as we look at a, a list of habits that put on the new self, it could include studying Scripture, meditating on Scripture, finding ways and time to celebrate Jesus, to celebrate what God is doing around us, 
Four, listening to a teaching or sermon on your way to work every day. Start your day with worship music. Attend a service or small group weekly. Good job. You already started? Great. But all of these are habits that are meant to shape a lifestyle. Think of them as exercises that prepare us for when the moment Christ says, I want you to step out and love, or I want you to step out and serve, that we're already prepared and fit and our mind is already ready to say yes. You guys tracking with me? That's the point of this. And I would encourage you, the, the, these lists, they're on, the, on our church app as well in the sermon notes section. Think of one habit from each list, just one. Start with one from the takeoff, one from the put on, that maybe are not a part of your life right now. And find ways to incorporate them daily or weekly into your life until they start to become normal. Because I know these lists are overwhelming, but just start with one on each and just see how it begins to transform. Because one thing I'm realizing is, man, we're really good at talking about God's Word. We're really good at going to Bible studies. We're not always very good at exercising what we're eating. But we learn to actually live this out because life with Christ is one daily decision after another to surrender to His love and pick up His way. You know, when I look at the culture around us today, I see a lot of things that concern me. Just to name a few, I see the growing loneliness. I see how truth and morality are often bent to serve whatever we want. I see the way that fear and outrage have become normal. I see how polarized we've become. I continue to see the number of unborn babies who have no choice on whether or not they live and so many pregnant moms who feel like they have no choice but to abort. This week even, after the, the shootings in Atlanta, there have been so many different voices that I've heard crop up, some of my friends even, other, even pastors, who said, yeah, we've been silently mistreated for a long time. So many women from Asian backgrounds say we've been sexualized by this culture. And as I begin to put all these things together, I say, Lord, it seems like the old self, the sinful self, is just having a field day in our culture. But then I said, what? I don't want to fear the future anymore. I refuse to fear the future anymore. And in fact, I, in all honesty, I have a lot of hope for it. Because I see this, all of this, this cultural moment as an opportunity for those who have the risen life of Christ within us to show a different way. That in loneliness, we put on rich community in His love. When truth is relative, we put on faithful orthodoxy as we study His Word. In a culture of fear and outrage, we cast our cares to the Lord and we put on times of silence where we receive from Him. In the midst of polarization, we put on hospitality as His peacemakers. And when, when, when babies and moms are being mistreated, when babies with lives are being taken without having to say it, we, we become advocates and we speak up for them. When, when, when Asian American men and women or anybody else are objectified, victimized, and treated as subhuman, we put on compassion, kindness, 
humility, meekness, and patient listening ears. And when we become marked by these things more than anything else, because Christ is in all and he is everything to us, the world around us begins to see a different way, the way of Jesus. And sometimes when the world sees a different way, it's exposing. It may not like it, but many times, all of a sudden, we become a beacon of hope for all those who are refugees from the midst of our broken world to say, I know I need healing. I know I need something. And I'm seeing something in you that is different from everything that I'm seeing everywhere else. But guess what? If we're going to be that kind of church, it's going to require all of us together. I cannot take off and put on anything for you. And you can't for me. It's going to require each of us to daily say, Lord, I don't want to be a victim anymore. I dissociate with the old self. And I associate with you, Jesus, in everything we do. So I ask, what is one habit we're going to take off and one we're going to put on that we can begin to incorporate into your life? Because life with Christ is one daily decision after another to surrender to his love and pick up his way. And my prayer for us the whole time is that whatever we do in word or deed, that we might do everything in the name of the Lord who? Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Stand with me. Let's pray. Lord. I will confess to you as a way of taking off the old. I will confess to you the times that I have lived more for myself and I've allowed fear to control me. And the times that I have fallen under the grip of deception to think, well, that's just what my life's going to be. But Lord, your word says it's not true. And I believe you. And I pray that you show me how not just to talk about it, but actually live it. To actually step into your way, Jesus, and that you would show me every day, every week, how do I live controlled by your spirit and not by my old self. Thank you that you gave us all the resources of heaven, Christ in us, that we might be made new. So may we walk new life. And may you transform us as a church community to be a beacon of hope and light and love and compassion and humility and meekness and gentleness and patience and forgiveness because that's who you are, Jesus. And we love you. We praise you. We do all this for you. In Jesus' mighty name and everybody said, amen. Let's, let's just sing this final song together.